Amen. What a blessing. Thank you for those who lead us in worship. I could have done that for about another hour. It was good. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight. I'm glad to see you. Glad you're here. I want to tell you a couple things about what we're doing, where we're going. I want you to know that uh, I know many times when it comes to Sunday night church, uh, people sort of have some presuppositions in their mind. You know, they we think about Sunday night church oftentimes as, well, you know, it's, it's the tried and true, you know, the fanatics, they come to church on Sunday night. And Sunday night really is just a scaled down, watered down version of Sunday morning. Well, let me tell you how that's not true, okay? On Sunday nights, what my commitment to you is, is that I want to teach you things on Sunday nights that I couldn't teach on Sunday mornings. I want, I want to reward you every time you come to church on Sunday nights. I want to take you to places that you haven't been. I want you to be stretched by the Lord. I want us to make the most of these times that we have. And personally, I'll tell you this, I, I love the times we spend together on Sunday nights because I love teaching on these topics and on these subjects. And I love the, the freedom to be able to come and to, to teach you, uh, to serve you what I've been chewing on for the last few weeks. And so together as we walk in this journey... I want you to be, uh, you know, I want you to be excited about coming to church on Sunday nights. And I really want to commit to you before the Lord to uh, do everything in my power to, to feed you well on Sunday nights. And for us to really leave here every Sunday night, being able to, uh, you know, have, have to be challenged and to think through some things and, and allow the Lord to grow us and teach us and mold us and shape us. So let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll get into His Word. Father, I come to You right now. And Lord, I, I pray that we've all come here to Your table hungry. Lord, that we, we haven't come uh, full from this morning. Lord, that our appetite wasn't, wasn't uh, quenched. And Lord, we come to Your table and we're hungry. We want to eat of what You have for us, Lord. And God, we want to fill ourselves on the, on the nutrition of Your Word, God, so that this week we can burn all these calories as we wrestle through these issues and as we share these truths with the people You place in our path, Lord, that we might come back next Sunday morning completely empty and ready to be refilled. So, Father, help us tonight. Give us ears to hear. Minister to our hearts through Your Word. Give me the, the grace I need, Lord. To, to, to follow the leading of your spirit and to bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I forget, while I'm thinking about it, um, there, we're trying to, to involve as many of you in, in this relief effort with uh, East Webster High School as we can. And one of the ways that, that you can spread the word uh, the, this afternoon that we, can't, we had a meeting to talk about it, one of the things that came up was um, we need some... Dessert, And when we feed the kids uh, lunch, we're going to feed them cookies. And so anyone who can bake cookies and bring them to church next Sunday morning, drop your cookies off at the fellowship hall and your school supplies off at the fellowship hall. And that'll be great because that way uh, those uh, children won't be eating cookies that we went and purchased at the store. But they'll be a representative of all the people who I know you wish you could go, but maybe you have to work or you can't go or whatever. But 
you can bake cookies. And so there's, I just want everyone to be as involved as we possibly can. What a great opportunity God's given us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll eventually get there. I just want us to begin to talk a little bit tonight about some issues. So we've been singing about His name. We've been singing about His name. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but His name. When you pray, when I pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Why do we do that? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Is that just something we say? Is that just some, some routine that we go through so we pray in Jesus' name? Is there some magical power to praying in Jesus' name? Does that somehow change the prayer? And, and let's push a little further. You know, if you, you don't have to be around me very long to know that I am a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. I'm a firm and absolute believer that the Bible teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is sovereign in all things and that He can do anything He wants to with anybody He wants to in any way He wants to at any time He wants to, period. Now, if this God is sovereign that we serve, if this name, if there's power in that name different from any other name, which so far I think we're all on the same page, if all those are true... Then if we push a little further and I say to you now, okay, Christian, here's what I want to know. I want to know about the doctrine of immutability. In other words, what I want to know is, is that there's this teaching in the Bible that teaches that God never changes, that God's always the same, that He's the same today, same yesterday, same tomorrow, that this sovereign God who is sort of over everything and who has ordained everything and who works in everything, if this is the case, then why do you pray? If God already knows what He's going to do, then why do you pray? Why? Let me, let me just throw some hurdles before you. I, I, I apologize that my slide maker is was off because she went to visit her mom and so she got mother's day off and so i don't have slides for you tonight but all these millions of verses you're going to hear tonight will all be on the website with the sermon probably sometime tomorrow the next day so just listen here's what the bible says proverbs 16 9 a man's heart plans his way but the lord directs his steps you believe that ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that man should fear before Him. You okay with that? Isaiah 43, 13. Indeed, before the day was, I am He, the Lord says, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Another rhetorical question. Are you okay with that? What about the New Testament? What about... And and by the way, isn't it interesting that so many of the Scriptures that speak of the sovereignty or the immutability of God in the Old Testament come from the wisest man who ever lived? Just want to throw that out to you a little bit. Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 11, Paul says, "...in Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. You okay with that? Not some things, 
Not, not, you know, things on Sundays and Mondays, but He takes off Wednesday and Thursday. But the Bible says all things according to the counsel of His will. How about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6? Jesus says this, Therefore you shouldn't worry, saying to yourself, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all, these things are what the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, speaking to believers, for your heavenly Father knows all that you have need of. See, Jesus teaches that He knows what you need before you ask for it. That in asking, that when you come to God and pray, you're not really revealing anything to Him that He doesn't already know. Are you with me? The Bible teaches that God knows everything. That God's ways are His ways. And they're, they're the way He is. But here's my question. If that's true, then why pray? What would be the point of prayer? If God's just going to do whatever He's going to do, then why would we pray? And if God already knows, then what's the point of telling Him? Why do we pray? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? What is accomplished when you pray? I wonder if any of your unbelieving friends or neighbors or somebody you've ever shared the gospel with has ever asked you that question. They ought to. They ought to say to you, they ought to say, do you pray? And you say yes. And then the next thing out of their mouth ought to be, why? Tell me why. Tell me why. You mean to tell me that you serve the God of the universe and somehow He needs you to talk to Him? Explain that to me. I want us to be able to know what happens when we pray. I want to know, I want you to know why you ought to pray. I want us to just dig in here and begin to see some amazing truths out of God's Word. And I'm going to use a very unconventional passage of Scripture, but I think it's a good one because I, as I prayed for you and as I thought through this in the past couple of weeks, one of the things that sort of became paramount in my thinking is that one of the giant hindrances to prayer, because I know that not everyone in this room is equally committed to prayer. I know there's probably some people in this room that pray more than me, and there's probably people in this room, undoubtedly, that pray less than me. And, I, and, and, and there's some of you in here that maybe don't pray much at all. Like, really pray. Why? And maybe you've wondered these things. And maybe the, maybe the problem is, 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 what do you do with prayer that goes unanswered? I mean, doesn't that just seem like a waste of time? Have you ever just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and just really just run out of steam? You just run out of gas. You get tired. And you just move on. And, and you don't want to talk about it. And then if someone asks you, well, wait a minute. Do you believe God hears you when you pray? Yes. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes. Well, then why didn't He answer your prayer? I don't know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is share in his heart. Paul is expressing what we think were the sufferings that he, that he survived in Ephesus. We're not sure about that, but we think that, but really that doesn't matter. We think it relates to 1 Corinthians 15, 32, but we're not sure. But either way, he says some really amazing things that, that I think make us kind of uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. The Apostle Paul, the greatest human Christian who ever lived says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, 
So we see right off the bat that he's not talking to everybody. He's talking to his brothers. He's talking to his sisters. Of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Man, I don't know what the prosperity gospel preacher is going to do with that. Now, he just has nothing to say about that Scripture. Verse 9. Yes, Paul says, and he gets better. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That is an amazing mouthful of Scripture. I could talk for years about all the ways in which that totally contradicts the uh, American prosperity gospel, but let's talk about prayer tonight. I want I want you to see a couple things. I, I want you to see well, what does prayer really accomplish? What what are we doing here? Well, number one, prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. Now, when we pray. What we acknowledge is that we're facing some situation or some struggle in our life that we evidently can't overcome on our own. In other words, I don't typically pray for something that I can just get up and do. You hopefully don't typically pray about that. You don't pray, you know, God help me put my shoes on when they're sitting right there and everything's fine. You can just put them on. It's okay. You pray about things you can't do. Prayer immediately puts you in a position of dependence. It immediately brings humility. It immediately brings submission. That's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time praying. Is that we don't like to... We're not comfortable with dependence and submission. And someone who does... People who pray like crazy. People who have amazing prayer lives. They just swim in the glory of dependence and humility before God. It is a wonderful place to feel so minuscule before this enormous God because this enormous God pours out all this lavish love in His Word on such a minuscule person as me and that just makes me feel so amazingly wonderful. But you see, the better I make myself, really the less great God's love is. I mean, if I'm something great, then what's the big deal? But when I'm utterly and completely dependent and God is loving me and helping me and caring for me, oh, it's just a, it's a magical thing that happens in the human heart. And so prayer acknowledges this dependence on God. Think about, let's just think about some of the things that go on in the Bible. Let's just think about the Old Testament, for example. Think about how God decides that He's going to rescue the children of Israel from captivity. So, remember, He's sovereign. We've established that He can do this any way He wants to. And so really, there's nothing that's off the table. But the way He chooses to do it is He, he, is he leads them away, and then He could have stopped 
the Egyptian army from pursuing him, but he doesn't do that. And he lets them be pursued. And then he, you know, he parts the Red Sea and they go through. And then when the enemies come through, he drowns them. And then they get out in the wilderness, which is kind of a strange place to lead people that you're trying to help, right? And he leads them out in the wilderness. And why does he do that? And while they're out in the wilderness, isn't he interesting that he leads them to a place where there's no ability for them to fend for themselves? So there they are in utter and complete dependence upon him. And he has to feed them daily. Isn't it interesting that they can't save the manna from yesterday and eat it today? Isn't it interesting that every single thing about this sequence of events all through the book of Exodus all point to being dependent upon God? Isn't it interesting that when they're unable to find water, God doesn't send a stream. He doesn't make it rain. He has Moses strike a rock. Once in obedience, once in disobedience, both times yield water. Why? To illustrate their dependence. And then, for 40 years, He sustains them this way. And then what does God do in Numbers chapter 21? In Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to go crazy here. In Numbers chapter 21, the people start complaining about God's provision. Remember this story? You know this story. This is what Jesus refers to in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So in Numbers 21, the people start grumbling. Oh, well, we don't like that food anyway. We wanted a hamburger. We didn't want manna. We were hoping for, you know, Chick-fil-A to fall out of the sky. We didn't want that. So they start complaining about it. So, so what does God do? Does he kill them all? No. Does he send a dragon and turn them all into human french fries? No. What does he do? He sends poisonous serpents and they start biting everyone and they all start dying. Now, that makes sense to me. I'm like, now that I would do. But then God does something very interesting. He has Moses. Moses goes and prays. They come to the people. Moses, go to God. We're all dying. There's snakes everywhere. So Moses goes to God and he says, God, you got to help us. And God says, okay, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. Everybody that looks at the serpent on the pole, what? Lives. Why? You see, there's only one way to live. Everyone's getting bit, and everyone who gets bit dies. And God's illustrating, but there's only one way to live. You've got to look at what I told you to, and then you'll live. Dependence. See, it's everything with God is an object lesson on dependence. Why? The whole Old Testament, read every inch of it. Why does God do this? Because He knows... He knows that a new covenant relationship is coming. He knows what's going to happen with His Son, Jesus. He understands everything that's going on in history. But here's what He's doing. He's preparing people. See, we come into relationship with Him in the book of Genesis the same way we come into relationship with Him in the book of Matthew. In other words, it's still always the same relationship with God. In other words, it's always us in dependence to Him. So the New Testament just plays this out. The problem is, is that we don't pray because snakes aren't biting us, we think. See, we don't pray because our fridge is full of food. You don't need manna. In fact, some of you think you don't like manna. You turn the faucet, water comes out. What's to pray for? If you've got everything you need, But you know what? The same principle stands. 
And God invites those who want, who want to embrace Him, the only way He can be embraced, which is in submission to Him, which is in utter dependence to Him, He invites us to come. And it's just astonishing when you begin to study this how little we take advantage of this invitation. Exodus thirty-two fourteen. Moses is up on the mountain. All the people are down at the bottom of the mountain. They decide they're going to make a golden calf. Moses prays. And it would seem, it would seem at first glance that God changes His mind. But does He? God says He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna issue wrath against His people for what they've done. But then Moses prays. And the Bible says the strangest thing. It says, so that the Lord, in Exodus 32, 14, the Bible says the Lord relented. The Lord relented from the harm which He said He would do to His people. Well, now, I don't know. Because... That kind of sounds to me like God's changing His mind. It kind of sounds to me like God was going to do one thing, but then Moses prayed and now He's going to do another thing, which is great because some of you are thinking, well, yes, amen. Well, now I'm going to start praying, but here's the problem. Scripture teaches otherwise. So here it seems that He changed His mind, but yet in other places, the Bible says, well... Uh, God's ways are His ways. They're just His ways. He's always the same. That He orchestrates everything in Ephesians chapter 1. He orchestrates everything according to His will. Well, let's think about prayer for a minute. Let's think about Paul in this terrible situation. Let's think about Paul who, who is... It seems like he's at the end of his rope, that, that he's just overwhelmed with grief, that his circumstances couldn't possibly be any worse. And he's telling the people at Corinth, he's telling them about the situation he was in at Ephesus and how horrible it was and how terrible it was. And at the end of the passage, he says, and people prayed. Well, the way it was in the Old Testament, it was real simple. It was that there was one high priest and once a year that high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and meet with God. But that's not the way it remained. You see, when the people were being attacked by snakes, they went to Moses. Moses went to God. God told Moses to put the serpent on the pole, look at the serpent and you won't die, right? Right. Moses goes up on the mountain. The people decide they're going to make a golden calf. God says He's going to rain His wrath down on them. Moses goes and prays. God relents. Now, what is the Bible trying to teach us? Maybe, maybe what we need is a mediator. Maybe one of the things the Bible's trying to teach us about prayer that hangs us up in our prayer life is that we don't understand, really, the gravity of our dependence. In other words, maybe there's some people in this room tonight and you've sort of just believed without ever really thinking through it that really you have direct access to God. Maybe you think that you can just go straight to God. 
You can just go and kneel down in your room and start talking to God and your prayers link directly to God that you can just go straight to Him. Well, you're wrong. You can't. You can't go to God. Your sinful nature cannot go to God. You have to have a mediator. Someone has to be between you and the Lord. Someone has to mediate. Someone has to, has to be there in order to transfer our sinful nature and make it pure and sinless before a, a holy God. Now, how is that going to happen? Well, Moses had to mediate for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, writer of Hebrews, not talking to everybody, same as Paul. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, having boldness, he says, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see the difference? It used to be one priest one day a week, and he would sacrifice the blood of a perfect animal, and it would be this repetitive thing. Then Hebrews chapter 10 comes along and says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness. In other words, now, brethren, you can come, all of you, not just one priest, everyone's welcome. And not only can you come, but you come in boldness. In other words, it's not just one day a week that you come. You can come in boldness. See, if, if you say to me, Brother Tony, you can come to my house in boldness. You know what that means? I just walk in the front door whenever I want to, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You come in boldness into the holiest. But how do you do that? By the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By a new and living way, which was consecrated for us, and through the veil, that is, His flesh, verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. See, something's changed, but something's the same. You no longer have to be the high priest. It's no longer once a year, but you still have to have blood. There still must be a payment. There must be a mediator. There must be an advocate. Here's how 1 John 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, isn't this great? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for your sin. He's the payment for your sin. And not just for ours only, but for the whole world. So when you come to pray, when you think about prayer, the first thing you got to think about is utter and complete dependence before God. That when you come in prayer, listen, you're coming acknowledging that what you're about to say, you cannot do yourself. Even if you could accomplish it, you don't know what to do because you're dumb and I'm dumb, but God's perfect and He's smart and He always knows the right thing. So we come and say, God, help us. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I should do. And when we do this, we come in boldness anytime we want to because we have an advocate and this advocate has paid. He's the propitiation. The blood is there, but it's His perfect blood. So there's no more sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. There's no more Moses. There's no more manna from heaven every day. Now you've got a constant, always available advocate in Jesus Christ to come to God in dependence before Him. But I think of this and I think, 
We ought to just be prayer fanatics. If you think this through for just a second. In other words, when you pray as a child of God, Jesus Christ is the mediator between you and the God of the universe. That His own Son, His Son's perfection and holiness is what brings your prayers to the Father. But we still haven't dealt with this problem that we addressed in Exodus 32. Because see, the Bible says the Lord relented. The Bible says He relented from harming the Israelites, which He said He would do. What does that mean? Did God change His mind? Does that contradict the sovereignty of God? Well, praise God, it doesn't. And praise God... The Bible always has an answer for itself because it's perfect in every way. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 106. Psalm 106, 23. Therefore, the psalmist writes, He said that He would destroy them. This is capital H, He. He said that He would destroy them. Had not Moses, His chosen one, stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath, lest He destroy them. You see? What's the Bible trying to tell us? The Bible's trying to tell us that it's consistently from Genesis to Revelation teaching us that in our dependence before God, you can't come to God without an advocate. And the advocate is there because me and you are incapable. And the advocate is there to be a supreme reminder of our dependence and inability to do anything in and of ourselves. But it also, the advocate that we have is a supreme reminder of the glory of our Heavenly Father. That when we come, you're not sending some messenger boy up there to God. You're not, you don't get down on your knees and just pray and feel like you pray and pray and pray and you feel like it's just bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back down to you. And what the Bible teaches is that Jesus Christ is your personal advocate when you are on your face before God. I mean, this makes me just want to quit. And all of us just get prostrate on the floor and just cry out to God. Because what happens is, is that we negate this truth and we act like we don't have problems. We act like we don't have circumstances in our life that are going out of control. We don't have issues. We don't have... And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Listen, God is inviting you to pray with boldness, as much as you want to. See, that's what's amazing to me. I read this and I think about the immutable nature of God. And it makes me think that what would make sense to me is that God would only allocate certain prayer hours to certain people. And so he would say, here's the deal, Tony. You get 10 hours a week and that's all you get. And so I would ration those 10 and I'd be carrying them around and I'd get to like eight and a half. And so I'd have an hour and a half left in my pocket, but it'd be Thursday afternoon. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to use those because I might get a phone call and somebody I love might be sick or in a wreck or in an ambulance or something may happen. So I'm saving that hour and a half. And so right when it got right up close to the end of the week, then I would break out the hour and a half because I'd never want them to waste because God doesn't give rollover minutes so we don't have that so i got to use them see that makes sense to me but he says all you want it's unlimited calling 
Just dial the phone. That's unbelievable. And people would just go, nah. I know, you know. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling that, God. It's like I'm talking to the ceiling. I mean, you don't answer me when I pray. I don't understand really what's going on. And I just think, oh, really? All you want. All you want. You could just, you know what you could give me for Christmas? You could say, Brother Tony, here you go for Christmas. You don't have to preach for two weeks. You don't have to counsel for two weeks. You don't have to go to the hospital for two weeks. You don't have to do anything for two weeks. All we want you to do is go to a cabin in the mountains somewhere with no cell phone, no books, no notebook, no pencil, no nothing, just you and the Bible. And you can pray and read Scripture for two weeks around the clock all you want to. That would be the best present I could ever get. My problem is that things keep pulling me away from what I want and long to do. How do you, how do you, how do you not pray? How does, where, how could prayer get old? How does it get stale? I mean, how do you get down on your knees and think about Jesus Christ, your advocate, and just lose track and start thinking about your grass needs mowing. Really. And here's why. The reason we struggle is because we don't like. We don't like dependence. It's so counter-American culture. I mean, we, we hate that. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be strong. We want people to think we got this. And I'm thinking... You know what everyone who thought that got in the Bible? I don't think you want that. That's not what you want. What you want is utter and complete dependence. What you want is a a permanent advocate that says, come boldly. Just come in the door. You don't even have to knock. Just come in. You belong here. You're in the family. I mean, it's like my son coming into my house. He didn't pay for nothing, but he doesn't knock. He doesn't think, oh, wonder if I can go in. I mean, he can come boldly. He can eat whatever he wants. He can use whatever he wants. He belongs there. He knows he's loved there. He's comfortable there. That's what God's telling you. Come on. Come. Pray. See, I'm a fixer by nature. I like to fix problems. You come to me and you talk to me and you tell me what's going on. And I mean, my head's, my, my wheels are spinning all the time. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about, okay, Lord, you know, where in Scripture do you deal with this? What's a principle that's going to work with this? I want to help this person. I love them. I care about them. And the problem is sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. It's bad when I go to pray and as I'm praying, I start working out the solution to my problem. That's bad. Don't do that. That's not dependence. You start praying about something, then you start figuring out. And if you don't think about it, here's what you do. You start telling God how to fix what you're praying for. Violation. That's a foul. You're going to lose signal. Don't do that. God doesn't want you to fix the problem. He wants you to crawl in dependence to Him. That's what He wants us to do. And listen, why does that sound... You know, 
It just seems like to me in this culture that that just sounds, you know, people just don't like, like, well, what kind of God is that? What, What kind of God wants you to come? The kind of God who wants to shower blessings, unspeakable blessings on people wants that. You know why? Because if you come any other way and He blesses you, it's not that great. I mean, it's good, but it's not that great. But if you come in utter, broken, despairing desperation, and then God opens the floodgates of heaven, whoo! Man, He's got your attention then. In other words, the glory's just beaming. See, that's the thing. Come dependent. Be conscious about how, you know, think about your prayer life tonight and think about what, how do you pray? Now, now let's just think for a moment about how, uh, you know, God uses different things to, to answer our prayers. And I don't want to dwell on this, but I do want to make this point because there is a lot of confusion about this, is that God, God sometimes answers prayers in miraculous ways. He defies all physical laws of nature, all the laws that... That's the cool thing about God. He makes the law and then He breaks the law. See, He decides things are going to work a certain way. And then if He decides the sun's going to stand still, it just stops. Now, He's the only one that can do that. But since He made the sun and He set the system, He can decide if it stops or not. He can just do that. That's His prerogative. And sometimes He answers prayers in ways we can't... We just go, that's a miracle. I mean, I've been in, in the hospital before when doctor walked in and said... I don't have any explanation for that. I've seen that happen. That's just God. And even if the doctor doesn't even know anything about God, he just says, I don't know. Everything I've been taught in my life, all my billions of years of schools taught me that that could never happen and it just happened. Now, that tells me only one thing. See, there's only one way the physical laws can be violated. God. He's the only one. No one else has control over the law. He does. But that's not the common way He answers prayer. Now, is it? He doesn't typically, miraculously answer your prayer. And that's not how He does it. How does He do it? The same way He did it in Scripture. In other words, He fulfills His will in your life the same way He fulfills His will in the people we read about in Scripture. One simple, obvious application is the book of Luke, chapter 1. Here's what happens. Then Mary says to the angel, angel comes to Mary, Mary, you're going to conceive. You're going to have a baby. What? I've never known a man. That's impossible. How's that going to happen? Mary says, how can this be since I've never known a man? The response, well, for God, nothing is impossible. Newsflash. God just determined that he was going to miraculously have this virgin become pregnant. Then, just... The very next chapter, what happens? The book of Micah predicts, Micah chapter 5, predicts that the Messiah is going to come and be born where? Come on, Bible scholars, this ain't rocket science. Bethlehem. That's what the Old Testament says, right? But that's not where Mary and Joseph are. Where are they? Thank you. So, God just made a virgin pregnant. Now He needs this couple to go to Bethlehem. 
I'm thinking, teleport them. That would be cool. Um, how about shift around the continents? Like do something cool where it just all of a sudden they're standing there one minute and the next minute they're in Bethlehem. That would be cool. Have this, you know, superhero come sailing out of the sky and grab them and fly them over there. Instead, what does he do? He uses the powers that be to call for a census to providentially orchestrate his will. The same God in just a very short period of time. That's how he does it. Sometimes, sometimes he does things in your life where you just stop and go, I don't have any explanation for that. But other times, he, and most of the time, he's just orchestrating his will through the providential acts of your life, through the people and the circumstance. So you think, you think that there's this census that's been called for, and you've got to go to this place. But what you don't know is that God is at work. You're just heading to this place. But this God is sovereign, and so he's in the details, and so he's working. So prayer, it, it reminds us of our dependence. It, it, it reminds us that we, we need Him. It also acknowledges God's power to overcome our circumstances. It, it acknowledges when we pray that God's not dependent on whatever our circumstance is because He can providentially just orchestrate it to happen. He can just make it happen. He can just get a phone call comes. He can have somebody in your family call you up and say, hey, I need you to come to this thing. You can have another person just, you know, offer to pay for your ticket and all these things are going on in your life. And what you don't know is God's orchestrating all that to get you to this place. Or he can just snap his fingers, violate all the laws of nature and make it happen. That's his prerogative. But when you come and pray, what you're acknowledging is that I'm coming to pray about something that I can't do myself. I am completely dependent upon you, but you're a God who has everything at his disposal to make it happen. See, this is the the great plague that kills our young people. Our young people miss the providential nature of God. They live for the moment in the flesh thinking that somewhere in the future God's going to miraculously show up and then you can just straighten your life out and everything's going to be good. And the thing you're missing, teenagers, is that God is just walking with you today. See, you think it's just school. You think it's just baseball. You think it's just homework. You think it's just parents. But what you don't know is it's God. In the same way that he sent Mary and Joseph to the city he wanted them to go to through a census, he's doing that in your life. And if you wake up and just embrace that and realize that all the circumstances... Because here's the thing. As you get older and you slowly move to this side of the auditorium over here, when you get over to this side, you realize... See, this side over here, they look back over the span of their life and they're like, Oh, amen, brother. Been there, seen that, done that. Now, some of y'all are sitting over there in denial. I understand that. But the point is, is that God is at work providentially in all the details. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but you, you understand that, right? That the Bible is literally filled. Every page is filled with some providential intervention by a holy God. Over and over and over and over and over. And every time you open the Bible, just catch that. And then don't, and then let that remind you, oh yeah, that's what he's doing in my life. Yeah. Yes. Number three, prayer makes us alert to God's activity in our lives. And this is awesome. 
See, when we pray, notice in the passage I read out of first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 11, notice what Paul says. Paul says, You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given. Now, that's very important the way that I know that that's uh, linguistically not the way we would say that sentence. But what he's saying is, he's saying that we're giving thanks or you're giving thanks or we give thanks because you prayed for us. In other words, it's like Paul saying, well, thank you for praying for me. But here's the point. The point is, is that when we pray, it tunes us into what God's doing. And then we become thankful for the things that are providentially happening in our life. Because let's face it, if you're a virgin and you get pregnant, you're going to notice that. You don't need to be tuned in on that one. But when a census order comes, you know, know, listen, I'm telling you this because I love you. I guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am 100% convinced on the authority of the Word of God that in every single life in this room, there are literally thousands upon thousands Thousands of instances of God's providential intervention in your life, and we missed it. We missed it. And here's what I know. Because if you read the Bible, don't know, it's not just because I think this ought to be. Read the Bible. What did I tell you this morning? What is one of the classic character traits of God? God loves to reveal Himself. Would a God who loves to reveal Himself, would a God who says over and over and over, if you seek me, you'll find me, would that God providentially intervene in the lives of His children and then hide Himself so you didn't figure it out? No. You don't pray, therefore you don't see. You miss it. You miss it. You miss what God's doing because you don't pray. When you pray, you tune in. See, when you pray about something, you alert yourself to it. You sort of connect to it. You're watching for it. And then when it happens, bingo, you catch it. People who pray, I'm telling you, some of you in this room, you know you pray like crazy. I know who to call. Pray for me. Pray for me, because I know you are on your face before God daily. Listen, you know what other people don't know. You see all the time God's intervention in your life, because you pray. But when you don't pray, it's just a census. It's just a plane ride. It's just a phone call. It's just a this. It's just a that. And you just miss it. You just miss it. And it's still going on in the, by the grace of God, but you miss it. The best story I know to illustrate this is there was a, a couple years ago, there was this sort of experiment done by the Washington Post where they took this guy who was supposedly the greatest violinist in all the world. Okay, trust me, I don't have a CD, don't know anything about it, but it's probably amazing. And so this guy is this unbelievable world-renowned violinist, and he was coming to play in Washington, D.C. And so what the newspaper did was they decided they were going to do an experiment and they had him go and take his $3 million violin, some antique, special, spectacular violin for $3 million, and dress in jeans and a T-shirt and go down to the subway, open up his little violin case, 
put a couple dollars and some change in the case, and he started playing his violin. He's playing Mozart and all this stuff down there, right? And people, thousands, are walking by. And at the end of the day, nobody paid any attention, and he, he made $32. Two days later, he plays in the largest arena in Washington, D.C. It's been sold out for months. The cheapest seat in the house worth $100. No one ever even knew he was there. People walked by all day long thinking he was just some beggar. The greatest violin player on earth with a $3 million violin. Nobody paid any attention. You know what? That's you. That's me. I'm telling you, if you slow down on your rush through the subway, what you find is there's people in your life, there's things going on in your life, and you think it's just some violin player. You think it's just some ordinary thing. You, you think that it just so happens that somebody just so happens to move in the house across the street from you. That doesn't happen. Or God's not sovereign. If He's sovereign, if you're His son or His daughter, nothing in your life happens by chance. Tune in. Tune in. And you know what? It's not, it's not a mystery. Pray this prayer. Pray every day. If you don't know, just begin this way. Every day, pray, God, I want to see where you're working. Show me. Just ask. Just ask. And watch what happens. You sincerely pray that every day and watch what happens. Watch what you begin to see. And nothing's really going to change but you. It's like your vision. Suddenly you're going, whoa. And you're the only person walking through the hall with everyone else. But you stop when you hear that music and go, that's not just some ordinary person. That's the God of the universe working in my life. But you got to slow down. You got to get dependent. You got to tune in. You don't pray. You walk on by. God will accomplish His purposes through the most ordinary means imaginable. And at times, because He can, He'll just stir the pot a little bit with His finger and He'll just do something miraculous. And when He does, it's just amazing. Because it just encourages us to to get more focused on Him. But my goodness... How how do we miss this privilege before the Lord? Why do we we pull back? So prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. We're going to get out on time. Prayer acknowledges God's power to overcome our circumstances. Prayer makes us alert to God's activities in our lives. You know, this happened yesterday. Where's John? Johnny, I don't know if you all know this. Johnny and Dee Dee have one daughter. They have one child. Yesterday, she got in a horrific car accident, flipped her car six times. Didn't break one bone. Walked away. Now, Johnny, did that accident... I came to your house, by the way, now that we're all talking about this together, and you weren't home. So I just want you to know that. And I'm still upset about it, too. Did this wreck, like you had something important to go on, you know, your daughter's flipping down the highway... Did this wreck happen somewhere around 11 o'clock? What time did she crash? Well, now I didn't know about it until after y'all were at the hospital. But you know how I know it happened around 11 o'clock? Because 
I have this habit that I've developed in my life that every time I see an ambulance or a highway patrolman, I know somebody's life just got turned upside down and I pray for that situation. So yesterday, I was coming down Dito Road going to my house, and when I came to the red light right there facing Captain Al's restaurant, I'm sitting there, I'm the front car sitting there waiting for the light to turn green, and a highway patrolman comes flying off the interstate, turns north, and goes zooming up 605. And, and I mean zooming. And this was when all that jailbreak prisoner thing was going on with all the other... But I saw that highway patrolman, and I knew highway patrolmen and ambulances respond to different things. It's not city police. So that, that car went flying past me, and I said, Lord, somebody's life just got turned upside down. May your hand of blessing be on that person. And then I just went on about my business because I do that every time I see a highway patrol or an ambulance. And then, about three hours later, I'm down at the nursing home visiting Miss Lorette, and my cell phone rings. And Morgan has been in a horrific accident. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And so in the panic of all that, all the pieces start coming together. And I talked to my daughter and I said, what happened? And she said, Dad, she was going down 605. And right then, I just, my heart just stopped. And I knew I prayed for her. Now, why do I tell you that? Not because my prayer changed anything. This is why. If I didn't pray that prayer, I would have never noticed or paid any attention to that policeman going, and I would have never put it together. But here's the thing, because I did, now all of us together are sharing in the glory of God that He's a God who answers prayer. And that even if you pray and you don't know what you're praying for, He moves. See, because I didn't know who was in the wreck. I didn't really care who was in the wreck. I just knew someone's life got turned upside down. I didn't know that it was some people that I love. I didn't know it was a girl that I think of as my own daughter. But it didn't matter because I know God's sovereign over everything. And I said, Lord, touch them because you can and I can't. And I don't know them. I may never know them. But God, if you touch them, it'll be okay. Her car flipped six times. She doesn't break a bone. That's the God we serve. Now, who's not going to pray? Don't you see? When you pray, you tune in. And you see what goes on around you. And if you don't, you miss it. You miss it. And you know what? Maybe she's okay anyway, but, the, but you miss the blessings. Done. In other words, I miss that. But now, she's okay. They're praising God. And I'm praising God. You see how God is? That's what prayer does. But I mean, not praying is like just closing your eyes at the world around you. It's just like, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. I just want to get to heaven. I want to know. I want to see. I want to live. I mean, I want to walk with the Savior. I want to, I want to, I want to feel His whisper in my ear. I want to see Him orchestrating the people around me. I want to see people's lives being transformed by a, by a gracious, unbelievable God because we pray. I want to see that. I want to see it. And if I can't see it, I just want to die. I want you to see it. See, I can't yell Sunday morning like this. Thank you. I feel so much better. Lastly, 
Prayer brings glory to God. When you pray, God is glorified. And let me just give you a little a little clue into the nature of this God that we serve. There are so many amazing things about it, but one of the greatest things about it is that He is utterly and completely consumed with His glory. And what's so great about that is that He orchestrates things to bring Himself glory through people. I mean, in other words, let me put it to you this way. He set you and me up in the primary... We are the starting quarterback on the glory team. Guess what you got to understand? You're not the back row. You're not the fourth string. You are the starter. That God wants to score lots of touchdowns. He wants to make the crowd roar. And He wants you to throw it in His strength and power. Like He's the one that gives you the ability to do it. He's the one that's going to guide it through the air. He's the one that's going to make the receiver catch it. But you get to participate. Why would we not jump on that? Oh, no, wait a minute. God, really, this glory thing about you. You see, I'm too busy bringing glory to me. See, I'm too busy. Let's just be honest. You're going to tell me this place wasn't filled this morning with people that are into their own glory. Tons of them. Here's what they're into. They're into their job. They're into their car, their career. How much sales they have this month. How much money's in the bank. Where their next vacation is. How big their boat is. Who does their hair. What brand of jeans they wear. They're into their... They don't care about God's glory. Now they sing the songs. And they'll, they'll you know, carry their Bible. But down, let's just get real. Whose glory are they into? But God says... My glory is preeminent. It is your reason for being. It's why you're here. It's for His glory, to bring Him glory. And He's put you in the prime position to be a glory producer for Him. And one of the primary ways, one of the greatest things that initiates you into the glory-making process is prayer. He says, you pray. Here's what happens. The more I pray, the more God teaches me how to glorify Him. The more God brings my will and my desire in line with His will and His desire. The more I pray, the more I see Him move. The more I pray, the more things I see come true that I'm praying about because my prayers get better. The more I pray, my prayers start aligning with His will. Then when my prayers align with His will, boom, they start happening. And all these great things start happening. And then God gets the glory. And then people around you start asking questions, start wanting to know why you're so crazy, what's really going on with you, why are you so different, how come you're not stuck in the rat race of the world, what is it about you, why do you have that countenance when you suffer, why are you so faithful, why are you so honest, why are you so truthful, what is it with you? You pray, that's why. Yes, it's because you're a Christian, but I know tons of people who say they're a Christian and aren't any of those things. But Christians who pray are different. They glorify God. Because they pray. It brings Him glory. Look at what Paul said in, in verse 11. He said, You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given. And then look at what he says. By many... Persons 
on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. You see that? Now, what does that mean? It means that prayer, the more you pray, the more you will see God moving through supernatural ways and providential ways. And through that, you will begin to bring Him glory. And, and together, more people will get involved. More people will be, uh, be touched by what He's doing. And He will get more glory. Now, this brings up a very good principle. Why... This is, here's, this is something we need to talk about for just a second. How come when something happens in Michael Memorial... Listen, if my prayer is the same as Jenny's prayer, she prays and I pray, same prayer. My prayer is no more special than her prayer. And neither is your prayer, just in case you were wondering. So let's just suppose that there's a... Let's just suppose that suddenly there's an email that comes out and it says, Johnny and Dee Dee's daughter Morgan just got in a horrific car accident. Church, Pray. Here's my question. Why? In other words, does the more people that pray make it more likely that the prayer is going to be answered? Why are many prayers better than one prayer? I mean, how come Joanna can't just pray and it be and be just as good? Just over there by herself, she can just pray. Why don't we just call her and say, Joanna, you got Morgan, that's yours. Next thing that comes in, okay. That's yours. Sam's got that one. Steve's got that one. Around we go, right? Why, why don't we do that? Why do we all get together and pray? You ever thought about that? Does there, is there more power? How, how come the Bible teaches all the time? There's all sorts of stories in the Bible. One person prays and God moves. And then there's other times God calls us to pray. Why? Come on. Think. Is there more power in group prayer does, does all of us coming together in prayer magnify the power? Is somehow, listen, if we all pray together, is it, is it some, is, is the advocate like buff because we're all praying together? Or is it the exact same advocate if I pray by myself? Same advocate. What's the difference? Glory. Glory is the difference. You know what happens when people pray corporately together? They all tune in together to what God's doing. And then they all begin to testify to the power and glory of God. And then they all begin to glorify God together. And a church that prays together, sees God move together, begins to rejoice and celebrate together, and glorify God together, and magnify His name. So we're not just singing it, we're doing it. That's why. We pray because it brings glory to God. And if you do whatever you do in this life, whatever it is, if you're ever not sure as a believer, if, if you ever get faced with this question, you know, I just don't know if I ought to do this or not. It's a real simple question. Just ask yourself, does this bring glory to God? That's the quickest way to find a solution. Because if the answer is no, get away from it. Don't do it. And if the answer is yes, bingo, you hit the bullseye. Go for it. You don't need 14 different books and 87 different opinions. Just ask that one simple question. Where's the glory? Because if you find the glory, that's when you're going to find the Savior. Listen. Prayer. Why do we pray? What's accomplished when we pray? Listen. We pray. 
we pray because it is the most amazing privilege that could ever, ever, ever be granted to you and I. And I pray that God would raise you up as a prayer machine and that you would begin to learn. You would begin to to see. You would begin to watch God orchestrate amazing things in your life, no matter how small and insignificant you may feel. God's there. Don't walk past the violinist and just think it's another bum looking for change. You never know what God's doing in, around, and through you. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's pray together. Let's see what God does. Let's bring Him glory. Let's pray on Wednesday night. God, we we wanna we wanna respond. We we wanna we wanna help the people who've been affected by the tornado. Y'all were there Wednesday night, some of you remember that? I said, Well, we're not going because we don't have a place. And we prayed, God, all together, we prayed, God, bring us somewhere. Show us. The next day what happens? The phone rings down at the county. School says we need to feed our kids. Can you help us? No, we can't do that. But providentially, Butch Triplett, with supernatural bionic hearing, he hears, wait a minute, there's a need. And the school's kids are hungry. And he acts on faith that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he says, wait a minute, I think I got a solution. I think we can feed the kids. So Wednesday night, we pray corporately. We say, God... Glorify yourself. Magnify yourself. We don't just want to bring things to people just because we act like we're doing something. We want to have specific guidance from you. And so we've collected money and we're ready. But we're not moving until you show us because that's how you operate. And the very next day, the phone rings. They call the county. The county can't do it. But the agent is there. The agent calls me. I tell the agent, book it, Dano. We're going to do it. And the next thing you know, there we go. See? And then, here's what happens. The next day, the next day, as if that wasn't enough, the next day I get a phone call from Jim who says, Brother Tony, I work at the CB base. And my commander said, hey, we'd like to bring a bunch of the students, a battalion of CBs, to go up to North Mississippi to help do something. But we don't really have anything to do, so we're just ready But he asked me if I knew anybody. And I said, well, yeah, I know somebody. So let me call my pastor and ask him. And so he says, well, we're ready to go if you find something. So I said, okay. As soon as God tells me, I'll tell you. I hang up the phone. Boom. Hit my knees. God. Now, do I need to tell God any of this? Was it like he didn't know all this? Of course not. But here's the thing. I I don't want to miss it. So I start praying, God, will you please, will you open up some great thing? that these men can do. Not because we can't do it ourselves, but here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's got to be tons of those men in that battalion on that CV base that don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe the gospel can penetrate their heart as they're going up to help some people in the tornado zone. So God, why don't you magnify and glorify yourself in this? If it's your will, I'd love to see it. Will you do it? 
See, God is active. He's working. But if you just, if you just put blinders on, you just miss all that. And I'm just telling you, there's not a moment in your life that your heavenly Father's presence is not right there with you. And if He's with you, He's doing something. He's in every conversation. He's in every phone call. He's in everywhere you go and everywhere you encounter. He's in the details. And the only way you're going to catch it is if you pray. So what are we going to do? Lord, let it be said of us that we be a prayerful people. Be a prayerful people. Thank you for the privilege of praying. What a God you are. Let's stand. Bow our heads. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, we come to you because you invite us in boldness to come before you and to say, Lord, we can't do anything in and of ourselves. We're dependent upon you, Lord. That God, even right now in this moment of invitation, God, I have no idea what the needs are in this room. But you do. And Father, I can't fix them either. But you can. And so, Lord, will you help us to come in humility, to bow before you as the sovereign, unbelievably powerful, amazing God that you are. And Lord, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in tonight, can we just come, God, we come in boldness and we just come before you and we say, God, thank you. Thank you that my wretched, wretched prayer has a perfect, holy advocate to petition your throne. God, will you help us? Help us even more, Lord. You've helped us in so many ways, Lord. You, you've given us your word. You've illustrated all these principles to us a thousand times over. But Lord, you're long-suffering and you're patient. And so we come tonight and say, help us even more. Some of us in this room, we, we just still don't pray. Help us to pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for the unlimited invitation to come before you. Thank you for your ever-present power in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for making a school principal pick up the phone and call for a meal. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, God, for, for intervening and sparing the life of somebody we love so much. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. And God, thank you for letting us see that that it was you. Thank you, Lord, that it's not because the car was built really great or it's not because it just fell at just the right way or it's not because the seatbelt didn't fail or the airbag worked, Lord. It's because you, you did it. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, for the most beat down, most defeated prayer in this room, God, thank you, Lord, that the same power is available right now. 
that's available to any other son or daughter of yours at any other time in the history of the world. The same power. The power of Jesus. Because because of your name, Lord, your name, your name, we pray in your name. We come in your name. We ask in Jesus' name because he's the one who left heaven. He's the one who lived perfect. He's the one who died a horrific death. He's the one that rose from the dead. He did it. We come in his name, Lord. God, will you do something amazing at Michael Memorial, Lord? Will you do that? Father, will you glorify yourself here through the prayers of your saints, Lord, in such a way that many, 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 many people will bring you glory. You glory. Because some little church in the middle of nowhere prayed to a great big God through an amazing advocate. Lord, would you do that? We love you tonight, Father. We love you. And we just thank you.